Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life, get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Mike. That's what we're doing. Uh, hi, Bob. Good morning, Josh. <laughs> morning. It is I like the term coffee pot, Mike. That that's. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you called it a coffee pot. I made sure uh, I have mine. The coffee cast, yeah. Coffee cast. Oh, I've yeah. been up since five thirty. You guys obviously don't have any tiny baby kids. <laughs> none. None around here. <laughs> last time a kid that was in was this house subtle. last time a kid was in this house bob was yours <laughs> yeah that's true let me and that let me was just, the first one in two years now yeah let me just brief you a little bit about see because america america needs to know how two people that have two kind of very different views of life can be best friends they don't understand how you could be friends with someone who, who has differing opinions than you. All of America is like that, Josh. <laughs> and you and I have always diverged on children. You don't ever want to have children, correct? <laughs> <laughs> but how can we be so close and have such differing views on that? Oh, because people... I know I'm insane. I know that my views are very... Uh, <laughs> well, as opposed to my mental health. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's critical. It's critical for people to understand. Like, I said this to an agent on Friday. I have a lot of Republican friends, and he's, he, I could feel him changing his opinion about me, that <laughs> I had Republican friends. <laughs> You know what I mean? We need to give examples of like, hey, people can like Bob thinks life is just about kids and, and chaos and, and fun and doesn't worry that the planet's going to burn up 50 years from now. Josh would never doesn't want that in his life and is going his path. And Bob's going his path and they talk every day and they get along fine. You don't have to fight with people you disagree with. Wait, wait, are you coming out as a Republican? <laughs> Me? <laughs> well, I, I I don't even know what I am anymore, but I know that that um that it's just important. Like, and we were talking on the last podcast, Josh, and I think you felt it too. I never seen anything like Ohana Fest of how cool everyone is towards bands they never heard about, towards people they really wouldn't go see in an in an everyday life. I don't think a lot of the fans would be buying Brandy Carlisle tickets. I just don't think so. But for some reason, the mis the power of Eddie or Pearl Jam or I don't know or the or the site, everybody's just so respectful and so peaceful. And I started thinking, why can't the rest of America be like Ohana Fest? Do you know what I'm saying, Josh? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I agree. I looked out and I saw people. Everyone sort of see. I mean. I wasn't out there, but everyone seemed to be conscious of each other's space. And yeah, very respectful. I mean, I guess, you know, Eddie and for years and years kind of cultivating that sort of respect and that care yeah, for each yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, I had such a great view to see it. So I wanted to say, I think there were some Republicans there. I think there was some anti-vaxxers there. I think there no, was some anti-mask so. people there. Come on. I don't know if they were allowed. Is it just because it's exclusionary? No, it's well, so I easy to get a fake. Listen, 
all the musicians that are anti-vaxxers, and we know quite a few, Josh, they're just going to get <laughs> fake. They're just going to get fake documentation. What are you talking about? Like, like come on. There's there's um, people that that there was. Well, we saw one shirt that said, "What was it, Mike?" That said, "It said truckers for Trump. My rig runs on the tears of liberals." <laughs> That, that you saw that shirt at the show yeah, or was yeah, that a yeah. truck driver in the back oh oh was it well no i don't know was it a concert yeah we goer? saw it he was watching you by the way <laughs> oh jesus that's funny oh josh i have a funny story to tell you too and i wanted to tell you directly as i was in the crowd with my girls and there was these three kind of large kind of beer drinking guys next to you're me very watching adorable you. girls by the way oh, and Mike, thank, thanks thank for, you uh, so thanks much for introducing me. thank you so much so they're standing next to me they're drinking beer and i'm going oh this is gonna be weird and you uh, in the middle of a song stopped and said oh i made a mistake and the kind of crowd went quiet and the big guy in the middle says it happens we love you <laughs> <laughs> That, out. that was the, the guy with the with the Trump. But it really is a point where I just think that we I think that people that get along and and who respect each other have remained silent for too long. Like since before Trump, I think we've just remained silent. I know I have because I don't want any trouble. I just don't want any trouble. So, well, I like, think you know. deep down, I mean, I think we all know, or most of us know that deep down, all of us kind of want the same thing. You know, we're just, you know, having a little bit of a hard time remembering that, that everyone wants the same thing. And we're, you know, we have to share this place and work together, but everyone's so angry. I mean, they're, they're mostly just, you know, yeah, everyone's just so angry. They, they, okay. they only, they're, they're sort of incentivized to stay on their, in their corner. So and I, I never knew, but you are very, very, very environmentally aware. Like you don't <laughs> preach it. You don't preach it. You don't, you've never even, you've like mentioned your b belief about it to me over the years, but you've never preached at it. You never told me not to shop at Walmart or not do this or do that. And oh, I yet, have, in, uh, huh? I, I don't I don't really have any rules or anything that I follow. <laughs> well, you're pretty pessimistic about the planet's future. <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so Sid loves that song, plays it. She knows the words. She was very shy at your house the other day. She knows she the words better and than me. Those she can't know the word what the words mean. They really strike her, and and it's a song about the planet, and and it's. She also said something very cool. She, she said something very insightful. She said, is he using his cool guy voice? <laughs> oh, my God. Always. <laughs> Always. I said, all singers do. I love that. She, she was so shy the other day. She hasn't been yeah. around people. She hasn't been around people because of this fucking stuff. At least Mike's kid's got a 14-year head start on it. Sid at, at le just turned three she was three and a half when the shutdown happened so basically other than the school we started at our house which people came here um she hasn't really been around people for the whole developmental years three four five it's it's had an impact on her you can see it because that's not her real natural state she's like a mini me 
But when she got around Josh, she was very shy and quiet. She just nods her head, answers yes or no. A lot of kids do that. A lot of kids do that. (laughs) You don't think COVID has lockdown has something to do with it? No, I think think it's definitely had an effect, of course. But So, Mike, Josh Josh in the middle of his solo Plural One stuff and Pearl Jam stuff and other stuff, Morrissey, other stuff, he took the time to give Elvis the greatest birthday present day before Wednesday. Um, we surprised Elvis. We picked him up at school. We said we had to run an errand, me and Sid. And we went to Josh's house and Josh played music with him in the afternoon. It was so great. And they played mostly Eminem and, and, and Dr. Dre. So I don't yeah. know what that was about. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, he just was on fire. He, was, he led the entire afternoon. Did he's he like, tell you I know the this drum? song? I know this song. No, no, no. I just, I, he, he was showing me his songs and I was blown away with his natural rhythm and his ear. And I just started playing drums because he, he was, he was just. His ear is something else. I, I can't, he can hear a song on television and go to the piano and just figure it out. And I'm not talking like an hour. I'm talking like in seven minutes. Yeah. I kind of, I, I watched it happen in person. I, I kind of, sh- cause that's how I learned. And I just kind of, I was sort of, you know, I, just the, the teeny little amount, uh, the teeny amount of music theory that I picked up along the way. Not that I, I, I was just seeing if he was interested in learning that stuff. He's not. <laughs> yeah, he's not. But, but he will be soon. And once he learns these little things, he'll be unstoppable because he's already he has, naturally he has kind of doing this stuff. He has the rhythm. But now, yeah. so a lot of parents ask me like, hey, my kid has this, you know, loves music or whatever. And how do you steer him? And I always just say, make them listen to everything. So Elvis, for better, or for worse, me as a father has listened to everything. He's listened to Merle Haggard. He's listened to the Smiths. He's listened to Hank Williams. He's listened to Bob Dylan. He's listened to N.W.A., believe it or not, is a big car favorite, by the way. <laughs> When it's just me and Elvis in the car, fuck the police. And he just, he loves it. His face just lights up that I'm allowing him to listen to fuck the police. Yeah, which you should. <laughs> right. But, uh, you yeah. should, definitely should. And parents shy away at that whole, who said? I, this I, is I, the- I listened to some outlandish stuff when I was his age and younger. And, I, um, and I've been thinking a lot about that lately because I don't know if kids do that anymore. And I, it just didn't seem weird. And I've been thinking that my early exposure to those kind of adult things is sort of what got what, what made it possible for me to hang out with you guys when I was younger. Right. Well, you, you know, like ten- I couldn't imagine a 17 year old now meeting hanging out with and playing music with a 36 year old or you know, right. right how right. you know it just they they seem like they're more interested in video games or whatever it is or you know being kids which is fine and, and i'm obviously not everyone but i'm i just think about that a lot like my listening to uh andrew dice clay at age eight <laughs> <Nine>. yeah yeah <laughs> there's, there's a through line to being here with you guys today dice the dice man <laughs> the dice man but yeah. so so, you know, he he is obsessed with Eminem. He doesn't like you to talk about it, though. He knows every word to those songs. And Mike, when he's rapping them to you, he he kind of soft, soft, softens the F word. He's, self, he's self-centered. He's self-censored. <laughs> yeah. It's great. But, it's funny. But they were, 
But they were doing, guess who's back, back, back. Isn't that the one? Or what was the, it was just a yeah, great we afternoon. we did that one. We did that one. What Dr. Did, Dre song? Still Dre. Still, Still Dre. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So let's talk about your set. You did a song by two guys that were in the audience that made them cry. I don't know if you're aware wow. of that. It was nice. It was really I, nice. Oh, Mike, you were crying. <laughs> well, was, well, I've done that song before. I recorded that song on a, on a, and a, on a, yeah. So a I benefit mean, was, album, a benefit album. Yeah. 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 And, uh, um, was that, that, that benefit album was called beat LA, wasn't it? Um, beat LA. Yeah. I think like so. Beat. Like, like, a, like a beat, like a drum beat, but that, that I've been seeing all those beat LA signs in the crowd at the Dodger yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, it makes me giant. sick to my stomach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, last night it was a last night was the Dodgers that I know, kicked but the shit out of yeah, them. kicked. <laughs> but game three on Monday. So, so here's an interesting thing about that song. I wrote that song with Mike because I was trying to get Mike into Thelonious Monster, like. You know, Pete Weiss, very difficult person to to kind of get. He didn't want Mike in because he thought that's a Bob Homer. Like, that's one vote for Bob, right? Yeah. And it so throws Mike the whole played, dynamic off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, Dix is neutral. So, whoever's that second guitar spot is going to go the way of me or Pete. And for those that Bob, don't know, bands have, the, bands have these tensions that it's usually like Anthony and Flea, um, the Gallagher brothers. Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend. I think it's Stoner and Eddie, right? There's always tension in the leadership of a band. Who's the leader of it? And Thelonious Monster always had me and Pete. And people would tell me, why are you in arguments with the drummer? Just get a new drummer. <laughs> and I couldn't. He, no one can play like him. I tried two times. No one can, no one can play like Pete Weiss. For the, no one. He listens to the words that I'm singing. It's uh, it's hard to explain, but anyway, it's not. It's, so, it, no, it's it's rare and it's and it's it's uh, important and it's incredible. I, yeah, and I don't. That, know and that's drummers. what's important to him. You listen to the words when you're drumming, don't you? You know the words. Yeah, or at least the melody, or at least half the words. I mean, I do. I listen to the song. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen to the words more and more as with every passing day. But I mean, I I always listen to the song and to the melody. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of drummers don't do that. Is that no. correct? Yeah, I, I so, would think so. Pete's not wanting Mike in as far back as '86 when we made our second <laughs> album. Uh, I was Mike was at my house all the time, and we rehearsed at my house. And I'd be like, Mike, you should be in the band. He's like, No, I, you know, I don't want to be in the band. <laughs> and so, so, so we wrote that song anymore, and Pete loved it. That oh. wouldn't have ever seen the light of day unless Pete loved it. Oh, and so Pete and kept pushing. The, the greatest drummer move of all time. He, he chose not to play on it. I mean, like that, that's a real, <laughs> oh. that, takes, that takes a real, a real, you know, a real solid mind to, song, to hear a song, song and think it yeah. need, doesn't need any drums. Yeah, no. he's, he's one. So, so I was so focused on getting that song on the album and getting Mike in the band, which proved to be a genius move because we made our best record with Mike Mark. Though he and I go back and forth on this podcast and people think I don't listen or respect Mike sometimes. 
I made a great record, one great record in my life, and it was musically led by Mike Martin. Yeah, but it's so, mixed. It's mixed horrible. It's like it's oh, mixed Jesus so fucking eight, It's mixed so fucking eighties. I mean, I can't even really listen to it. It's just got all this eighties crap all over it. So, but you know, so many records do, and it's, it is such a particular somebody should just time. Re- remix that thing. Fucking you can't because like you can't find the masters. I I tried to find the masters. They were supposedly. You know, I don't know. It was John Doe that produced it. And no, this guy, but you sent it. Paul. You sent it to that Hill guy. That remember to oh, for the yeah, remake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, yeah, what's yeah, his yeah. name? So the master uh, tapes are just completely lost right now. Yeah, they're just lost. So many master tapes are lost that to this point now, people don't even know what they are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They're like it's a kid. They look for a CD box. Like no, there's a big box. It's like three inches tall. It's gray. And it'll there'll be like four of them. That's yeah, you the album. Them, you tell them about the master tapes, and they go, "Aren't they in the cloud?" <laughs> <laughs> so 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 um, so anymore. I had the lyrics, and then Mike always had a million variations of that song, right? But it wasn't until I was standing there with my daughter, realizing she doesn't grow up in a in a household like that. Because the household I'm describing is my parents' household, Flea's household. Every household I knew about was that you're born in a battlefield. You're just born in between these two people that don't like each other. That was all of our friends' kind of experience, right? Yeah. And, and I realized, and that's why I teared up, is Sid doesn't even know what this song is about. She's going to have friends that know what this song is about, but she doesn't know what it's about. And that's a very powerful line. And I wrote it, but I don't remember writing it. I was born in a battlefield. That's pretty fucking good opening line. Right. And, and, you know, it's it. um, The battle still rages on. (laughs) 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 Kids are still born into battlefields on a daily basis. It's it's funny because when we did that song, rock bands really weren't doing like acoustic stuff. Me and Bob, you know, we blaze this trail that nobody we did was... mike yeah, yeah. we opened for for willie dixon that people booed us off the stage and i was so pissed and and we played at remember we played at music machine and willie yes. dixon said you know y'all y'all should come open for us and i was like oh fuck yeah and we were so excited to go open this uh, the the annual blues dinner or something and we played acoustic we played anymore probably we played uh see that my graves kept clean and just people were did not want two guys that looked like us at their blues you know you know immortalizing dinner well it was johnny shines who played with robert johnson remember that mike yep johnny shines uh willie dixon so i'm in the dressing room just so bummed out like i didn't think that i i didn't think they would hate us and Willie Dixon came over to me and sat next to me and put his hand on my knee and he goes, oh, everyone have an off night. Everyone have an off night. And what he was doing was pushing the responsibility of what happened onto me. Not saying the audience is wrong. You know, I was like, fuck these people. And Willie Dixon made me think like, maybe fuck you, dude. You didn't pull it off. <laughs> well, it was all new to us too. And like McCabe's is such a fucking unforgiving environment. I mean, when you end a song and the little bit of clapping and then it goes like dead silent. I mean, silence you've never heard before <laughs> in your fucking life, man. It goes so, so quiet. You're just like, what? The, I mean, the, first, the yeah. first people, John Doe and, and knitters had played there. Peter case had played there. And then us in like 87. And it was, 
Because, you know, Josh, I love that. Bob Dylan, all that stuff. And we, we kind of did that. And so we, that was one of the, the replacements, I, I say, always did it first, but we did it better. and so anymore was on the second record and then that's what led to pete saying okay well let's get mike martin here which i don't know if he's still you know until the first day of recording so mike's solidly in the band josh to make stormy weather we're going into the studio bring all your equipment and guitars we're going to be there it's like a real studio for the first time with a real producer john doe and everybody's excited. Even I showed up on time and Mike comes like five hours later (laughs) with his amp, with his guitar sticking out the window of his ex-girlfriend's car with some (laughs) shitty little amp that didn't even work. I'm like, let's go. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Remember you had a Toyota Celica, Mike, or something like that. Yes, I remember. Yeah, it wasn't mine. (laughs) He didn't even have a case for his guitar. (laughs) (laughs) But he got it done. (laughs) So how weird is that, that 30 years later at this music festival, a kid who was Eight years old when that song was written made the two old guys that wrote it cry. That was a beautiful thing. That was, thank you very much for that. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. You, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm glad it had that effect. So what about your performance, man? Were you happy? I was totally jazzed. It, it was all went really well. I had a great time. It was a great experience. I never have. I've never played a song on stage by myself longer than about three minutes. You know, um, so the fact that I made it through was pretty impressive to me. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to blame any of the any of the weird kind of, you know, I'm not going to blame the sun for making mistakes. But I just had never done that before. So the minute I'm sort of my mind wanders, I sit thinking about other things, the guitar sound or the can't see my lights on the pedals or whatever. And then I start forgetting songs. But because of maybe all the other how I've been thinking about life and how I've been trying to change the way I think about myself or whatever. It didn't bother me at all. I, and, and, and to the, like, that's the kind of show I want to see. I want to see someone just go play songs. If they don't know their own songs that well, most of the time I'd probably be disinterested, but at least I, I, I don't even, I, I've been doing other things. I've got other stuff going on. So, <laughs> so and, and you know, and I'm just, you know, it won't always be like that. Now I see what I need to work on. And I, you know, I, I'm not a very good practicer. I, I don't like practicing my own songs by myself in a room. When I do that, I get halfway through the song and I'm done. I can't. Um, so, you know, it just, I've learned that it takes time. It takes time to get them uh, to become sort of muscle memory. And, you know, when I, when I'm doing it more often, it'll be totally fine. So I don't know. I, I, I had a great time connecting with the people that I was playing in front of, you know, like in my own little way and being coming from being as shy as I was when I was younger, to me, it's just, it's, it's an enormous amount of growth. So I'm really proud of that. Well, yeah, I saw, I, I said it to Chrissy too, cause she couldn't come cause of the baby, but, but she asked me how it went. I said, it was beautiful. And I cried and whatever. And then the, the idea of, because I saw, I didn't see you break your foot. I don't know what year that was. Seven years ago, six yeah, years 12, ago, 2012. no, 2012. So eight, nine years ago. So Josh is 
gone from the a person who breaks his foot when his pedal doesn't work to no, a person no, no, who what monitors. oh your monitor <laughs> okay sorry oh oh then by all means break your foot but just always want to be perfect always frustrated when things don't go right mike that was yeah. josh nine years ago yeah. to nothing going right your son uh, on your keyboard you couldn't see with the keyboard numbers too i couldn't of the see sun. any of that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was just like whatever you know and and that to me was that therapy works by the way <laughs> yeah absolutely and that was the thing like i i uh you know i broke my foot that time because uh the monitors weren't sounding good to me after a third consecutive night two of the the first two nights were at staples center my first two big shows with the chili peppers in la really and then the third one was in oakland where i broke my foot and it was more just about the problem there was the fact that i let the sound ruined my experience and the first night that it sounded terrible in at staples i was the lowest it felt like the lowest point of my life and the second night i realized that you that's my mind doing that to me I, so i tried desperately not to suffer like that but it was still not fun so i was lamenting right. the fact that i had these two nights in los angeles with this band i'm not playing in, and they were missed opportunities to connect and have a great time then the third night in oakland it was just over and i couldn't <laughs> help and i i kicked i kicked this wedge speaker monitor speaker and you know i quickly was uh shown that that's not a good way to deal with it either but i was uh -huh. upset i was upset <laughs> i was upset with and this is what i said later on that night i was upset with the whole apparatus specifically i was just i was so annoyed that i allowed that to happen if i or, or like annoyed with myself that i couldn't change that the guy that i felt bad for the monitor tech it was his first show not gear he was used to. And it was at Staples in front of all my uh, parents' friends. So, but don't you think, so, don't you think sometimes, cause I remember the first but time- But then again, Anthony, wait, sorry, sorry, real quick, yeah. then again. But then I realized I can't control that shit either. Like, you know, so sometimes- After you, you broke your foot, you realize that? After you broke yeah, your yeah, foot? Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Like, like, well, like what I just said, like I was trying to control everything. I, I, at a certain point, you can't do that. You, all, The only thing you can hopefully do maybe is just take what life throws at you and still try and enjoy yourself and do what you're there to do instead of either sink into yourself or be pissed off or break your feet. <laughs> Right. Well, you've only been playing music with Eddie for about four months. Eddie's probably the king of that. He, I don't even, here's the thing I've been watching with him for years. I don't think people really know the words sometimes, but when he fucks him up, he stops and tells you he fucked up the words. He's you so do that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty obvious I fucked up the words. <laughs> no, but I, I, I've been thinking lately, like just, well, because I was coming up on the solo show and I knew you were going to be there. And I don't know if it's osmosis or what, but there's, I know for sure I've picked up things from playing with you for so long and just, you know, kind of talk. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Talk about you, it. You bring, like, you bring, well, you bring people into your life, your own life. There's no, I, to me, the notion of I'm a performer and you guys are the audience. Just, it's just silly. It's like, I, you know, I, to me, we're all in the same level it's annoying to me that there's a stage and that once there's so much distance between i don't know when i played with you and you were the first person i really played with it has always felt like we were all doing it together the us on right. stage and the people in the room and you would be giving 
books out to people and talking about your day and stuff. And, I, and to me, that just all, it always sounded like how I would play a show too. I mean, I was so proud to be a part of that. It started because Thelonious Monster was like, I always say, we're kind of like that Howard Hughes wooden boat. It took a long time for us to get off the ground and get going. So you really couldn't be one of those bands the that Spruce made the spectacular. Yeah, Mike, Mike knows Goose. about the Spruce Goose. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. There. <laughs> so, so for those that you know, it's like the heaviest boat ever, or plane ever made, and it, it takes like forever to get off the ground. I think it only flew one time. I just started yeah, to feel like... Yeah, for about 20 seconds. 12, 12 <laughs> feet off the water. Twelve. Yeah, feet I started to feel like Polonius Monster is like that. Don't expect a big intro and we're going to do give it away and place is going to go nuts. We're just not like that. We're going to come out and fly. 12 it's going to take a while. To <laughs> <laughs> but, but at a certain point, and usually it was the encores are usually in between the end of the set and the, and the encores, me and Mike would do acoustic sets. There was going to be magic that night. Now, if you went on stage in the old days, we were on stage about 10, 15, and we were going to play till 12 or something. 10, 15 wasn't the time to get there. It wasn't going to be a lot happening at 10, 15. It was going to just be slowly getting off the ground. But if you're there at 12 o'clock, you can bet something magical is going to happen. Whether it's Goodnight Irene, Out of the Blue, or Here Comes a Regular. We used to always do Here Comes a Regular. And for some reason, nine out of 10 nights, I would forget most of the words. But that one night, I would remember every word to it. And it would be unbelievable. And so, so you just get used to like, well, it's not going to be that great in the beginning. But somewhere along the line, it's going to ca catch on and it's going to get traction. And that's what you did in the set. By the time Nate got it, well, when you played the, the Anthony and the Johnsons, which what happens in a situation like that? Are those albums still by Anthony and the Johnsons or do they renamed? So he's making, she is, they are making songs under a new name. Is the her so. new name? I, I got to so. find out. I didn't know that. So there's a song, Another World. It's my favorite. It's right here on the, it's always towards the tops of my CDs right there. It's in there somewhere. Um, that's one of my favorite songs. And you know what, you know, cause I'm looking at it as want to help Josh it, that if you segue into mother nature out of that, it's, it's a masterpiece. Did you think of that or is it too uh, close well, for comfort? Well, too close I was for just going to, well, I was going to play mother nature on guitar. So I kind of, I had that in the guitar portion of the set. Right. <laughs> but, but I mean, that, that was one of my other brilliant ideas was I played Mother Nature in a tuning that I had never played it before. So when I'm thinking about the lights and thinking about the, um, you know, the, the, why is the guitar so loud right now? Um, it, it, playing that song in a key that I had never done it was, uh, you know, kind of unwise. That was very, that was a very Klinghoffer-like thing to do. <laughs> it was, it was, it was. So that, that's why I, I don't mind that I was fucking up all over the place, because you, you got me. <laughs> that's why they invented capos, John. Well, it was, I, I, play, I played it in the right key, so I didn't say that correctly. I just played it um, in, I played, the, the guitar was tuned differently, because so, it was, the song was written on piano. Oh, and then I did a version of it on guitar where I tuned the guitar two steps down. So it was like, oh, you know, in C. But then for this <laughs> performance, I played it in D because I thought the 12 string electric that I had never played 
you know, more than 20 <laughs> minutes that I just bought two days before that belonged to Ry Cooter. I thought that guitar sounded good in D. There was no way that guitar was going all the way down to C. Let me, let me recap how we talk when Josh is in the room. So he's going to take his best song and he's going to play it on a guitar he does never played before. And he's going to play it two steps down. Should go great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, oh, that's awesome. So, and then let's talk about the Eddie stuff. That second Eddie show, that was amazing. That that was amazing. Were you guys nervous the first show because you didn't know the songs? Because the second well, night of the Eddie Vedder and Friends thing was the best thing of the weekend, in uh, my well, opinion, right? Well, most so a lot of people don't know. We had a nice, thorough, basically a full set sound check. The, on the Thursday. So we, we played a lot of that. And, and the people that were in that band, obviously none of those people have the ability to dial it back. So we gave it our full, all, you know, Chad's not a dialer level. back. No, no, none of us. Chad is not, Chad has played in a lot of bands that people don't know about, but Mumford and Sons is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we gave it, we gave like a full performance on Thursday. And then, so Friday was the night that we weren't originally going to play. We, it was sadly filling in for the Kings Leon. Uh, so it, you're, is that what you're calling the first night? Yeah, that's the first night. Yeah, so that was the night that we kind of last minute, we had to go up there and we played a few songs that, you know, we played one of their songs and, um, and then for the second night, yeah, the Saturday, that was always the the one that we were focused on. Yeah. So with that was Glenn, with Glenn and the acoustic part. That was just yeah. that was just like that was you don't get to see that very often. You no, know, we were great. talking about we were talking about Beck on the, our last podcast. We all love Beck, but it seems like there's three Becks and he can't figure out how to put that into an hour and a half show, right? It's very hard because his music, some of the more mature acoustic records later on in his career, how does it jive with with the early stuff? And and it's it's hard. It's hard. I think he's got a harder job of putting a set list together than any artist I know, really. Right. Probably. Because how do you do that? What's the name of that album you like, Mike? Morning what? Sea Change. Sea Change. I love Sea Change. So how do you do Sea Change next to Loser, next to Devil's Haircut? Like, how do you mix that all together? Not many artists have to do that. Eddie has to do that and does it fluidly. But it's kind of weird because, you you know, there's it doesn't get much harder or rock than you guys played on that in that Saturday show on some of those songs. And it doesn't get more intimate and soft. And that's another thing about this audience. You're talking about 14, 15,000 people sitting there and Eddie's playing a ukulele and you can hear a pin drop. You don't hear people at the bar. You don't hear people talking on their phones. People don't yell out, play Jeremy. It's just (laughs) the most respectful kind of thing I've ever seen. I'd never seen him acoustic like that. And to do it in the middle of the set and then just go rock again, that's that's rarefied air people that can do that. Yeah, no, it, it is. And the, and the people have been, you know, they kind of, they've been accustomed to who he is and how he plays and how he performs. And this was kind of a different performance for him solo. But I think ultimately what made it, and what made it special for us too was that we, you know, we 
we'd just gotten that set together basically in the week prior. So we rehearsed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then we went down there and did it on stage Thursday, then we performed Friday and Saturday, and that was it. So it was this special thing. It was just something, you know, how many people uh, play these kind of unrehearsed shows in this big rock and that big of never, never. Not unrehearsed, but I mean, you know, it's like a new thing. Like we were all kind of having as much fun as you know anyone there we, so it's just this is kind of okay. rare i'm gonna ask you a question and see if you know it a trivia question that i looked through and found out uh -oh. what song was played four of the five nights one song uh, was played four of the five nights. you, you nights mean pearl, you pearl jam yeah and eddie vetter show so out of out of oh four three of the four nights you played one song in every set elderly woman Court. How does that get on every set list? Is that one of Eddie's favorites? Is that your uh, favorite? Well, the, the version, the version that the solo band played is a different version. It's kind of like it's a totally reworked version, and it doesn't sound like the normal version until the outro kind of solo bit. But then you did it in Pearl Jam too. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, and that's that, that's just one of the band's kind of signature songs. Yeah, right. and better and better man falls into that category too. It was played. Yeah, that, and then that song was played a lot. They played a song called "Elderly Woman" behind the counter in a small town a lot. I think out of over the course of the weekend, yeah. <laughs> you're doing that, and it's respectful. Josh is always respectful. He's doing that they thing. There's only when you're on stage with people. There's only us. It doesn't matter who's been in it longer, who's in charge of it who's wrote the songs that you're doing when you're on stage it's us josh they are, my, they, they are my preferred <laughs> pronouns for talking about <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why you're, you get by so good they. Hey, you know uh you get to you get to play that hendrix song at the end which is amazing because they bring you out front and you just go crazy on that <laughs> that must have been so much fun dude it was fun I, it was amazing well what happened because you know we all know and i can i correct two musicians right now it's not a Jimi hendrix song it's a bob dylan song whatever <laughs> 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 all hendrix along Burton. the watchtower is the name of the song okay go josh very good no that's true um uh because dana point has you know they they have a pretty strict curfew down there we went to play it maybe the the whatever that the first night and i and i didn't know if, no one knew if we were going to play it or not because we didn't have enough time so i walked out there with a the guitar and and it was like good night. <laughs> so uh, the second time, the second time we did it, it was sort of kind of just uh, funny. Great. Funny, it, it was magic. It was sort of pent up twenty four hours <laughs> yeah. of wanting. Yeah, no, that was so much fun. They're so so when do you, when do you leave? When when does it all begin? I I honestly don't know. I mean, at the moment, the only thing the first the first uh, stuff with them that's on the calendar is in the summertime. Oh, I thought it was March. No, no, oh. I don't think so because, uh, yeah, no, I just don't think they were able to reschedule the show. There's a life of a musician right there. That was that first weekend was got. It's got. I was excited. I came home buzzing at how cool it was and how great it was and how great it was to do songs from. I, I don't know to do the Clash to do the Who. It, I just came home buzzing both nights. And then I'm sure you guys were. I don't know what time you got to sleep after that first night or second night. Like, 
it was just so exciting and so cool and so off the cuff and like you know like uh you know like on a tightrope and then now you're just not gonna play for like five months oh i know it's terrible it's terrible Stone and i were talking about trying to book a club tour yeah but, do, uh, something. Do, do something like that you guys are on fire they are on fire with you they are on fire with them and now you're not gonna play for five there, months no it's mostly to do sadly with the the health crisis that we are still going through and venues and, you know, ticket are things being, I know, you know but ask yourself this, here's the thing. So guess who's playing three nights in LA in January out of nowhere. I thought she was retired and never going to play again. Bjork is playing three nights on January 26th, January 29th and February 1st. How the where? fuck did she snake you guys from playing? Where? It, the shrine auditorium. I'm going, man. I'm going. I want to see the first night. So if you got to go to one of those nights, Josh, which do you go to? The first? Because I'm sure it's the first time she's playing in 10 years. The second. She's oh, so <laughs> you go to the second show? Yep. That's always the best show. What do you think, Josh? I'm going to go oh, to the gosh, first one. Know. Which one went on sale first? <laughs> the first, the 26th. The 26th. Yeah, gosh. I didn't even know about that. I, Can yeah. I thought she retired. And for no, those I don't that, think so. She's no, she does this thing where she'll because her her it's a pretty big ordeal when she plays just with the amount of musicians that she's used. At least it's the way it was for years ago. So she, I, she was doing this thing where she would pull up to a city and play there for a month or something. You know what I mean? Like she would do. I know she did that in New York and she, she'll just take up residency at a like venue. Webster Hall. I think she played there or something that, uh, somewhere in New York. And, and she did it in, in the Bay Area. I know she played on this. Uh, on the East Bay, I think there's a weird venue I'd never heard of. I remember she played, but actually my times are all off. So this could have been five years ago. I don't know what it was. No, she hasn't played. I don't think five years ago. No, I she, mean, yeah, because she's put out records, uh, you know, pretty steadily. Well, she yeah. didn't play L.A. then because I've seen her every time she's played. How about this? How about this, Josh Klinghoffer? I know all you guys and all you and your friends that were born in the 70s. You all love <laughs> Bjork. You all love Bjork. And you all go see her all the time and you're inspired by her. And you've talked to me afterwards. John's talked to me after he saw her and he wrote the dying song. Everybody loves Bjork. Bjork. But there were two guys in 1989 or 90 or whatever it was that were very excited about her in a deep deep way and she the first sugar cube show was at mccabe's guitar shop and guess who was there trying to talk to her me and sean penn <laughs> <laughs> and guess who won <laughs> not you <laughs> not me <laughs> so yeah. so i i've been obsessed with her since nine whenever birthday came out what year was birthday uh 80. 90 89 yeah something like that yeah so so i mean i saw it the, did you see her at the disney hall it was so great i haven't was... seen her for a while just from being on tour or whatever last time i think i saw her live was at the palladium oh why would she play there oh god oh I think wow. it was a couple years ago it's kind of like a weird uh you know, like a three shoot three nights. I think it was kind of a weird. All of a sudden, she was playing the Palladium, announced late. Yeah, so I'm so excited that that she's back playing. I I just love her. And for people that don't know Bjork, you know, a lot of times people think of musicians as. And somebody else said that. Well, I think Anthony said it that 
forever they'll whenever you know we we die it'll be about the sock thing the sock thing happened about eight times in 1983 or 84 right and yet the sock thing continues to chase the chili peppers around and haunt and flee and you know what i mean and she's known for like beating people up that girl is not a beat people up person you know what i mean uh, yeah no i don't think she's known for that is she just that one time she was protecting her child she's known for the duck outfit the, oh, the, yeah, the swan, the swan, the swan. Pulls it out of the bottom I, of the night. She is known for not how gracious and great an artist she is, not how inventive and wonderful and imaginative. No, but she is. he's right. What? He's right. I bet you so many people in this in, in this know her for that outfit that she wore, whatever. <laughs> exactly. That's that what was. I'm saying. So the swan. yeah. Alexander yeah, we, we have our Sammy Hagar weekend people that yell Sammy Hagar. You got the people that yell Jeremy. And then you got the people that Bjork, they wear, where's the swan outfit? <laughs> Listen, it's a funny the- story. We, when we were leaving rehearsal for those solo shows or something uh, or the, with, with Eddie, um, what happened? I'll try and make it quick. So we, I get in my, I, Chris Warren and I leave at the same time from rehearsal and uh, suddenly he we, he was driving a car that I was the first person to install my Bluetooth, uh, my phone to link them. So all of a sudden, Sammy Hagar s- starts playing and he and we're driving <laughs> behind each other because we left the same time. And he's like, and in his mind, he's like, Jesus, it must be Josh's phone. That's so crazy. He got in the car and the first thing he wanted to do was listen to Sammy Hagar. Weekend. So he's like, <laughs> he's trying to get my attention. He's calling me, but my phone's on silent. I'm driving and. Well, finally, later he's like, he's like, what? That's so crazy! You were trying to listen to Thelonious Monster. It was coming, at, and and uh, we just thought that was the funniest thing. It's not true. It was his iPod playing in the bottom of his backpack. But we have oh now, my now, now every time he and I are in the car next to each other, we both of us play that song. <laughs> <laughs> it does have a. Because we were just back. dying laughing, like, oh, we play music all day, practicing, ears ringing. For, what do I want to hear first? Well, you <laughs> know, I'm, how old were you when Funky Monks came out? 10? 11? 12? 11. So is, that's probably the first time you ever heard it. The Chili Peppers might sing Sammy Hagar Weekend in a movie. Yeah. And that kept me in crack cocaine for about four years. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It was the greatest thing when I learned about quarterly checks. Because oh, I, because no. I, yeah, it was great. And yeah. and if it wouldn't, if I would have died of drugs, people would have said, "Oh, the Chili Peppers killed him with those checks." You know? <laughs> I, mean? I, I yeah. heard the song already. I had heard the song already because I didn't watch Funky Monks until later, until oh really, you know, the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. Because they sing just enough of it for me to get a publishing credit thing, just uh, no. enough. Like, uh-huh. and, and yeah, it's the greatest. I, I used to get checks literally like this is in what the nineties when I was botting out 93, I'd get checks for like $4,800. Josh, I know you've never smoked crack, but do you can imagine how much $4,800 goes in 1993 for That's crack. A it's a lot, yeah, a lot of crack. A lot of crack. It was a Speaking great, of, great thing. How, how, how are people dying with greater frequency, lesser frequency? Yes. How, how, oh, how yeah. Greater frequency? Greater are, frequency are they, are because they needing your advice and not dying. No, well, some, some are some. You know, we go through this. You know that the smaller and more kind of community based the city, the better they do at at 
taking care of their own. So we have great friends in Milwaukee. I don't know if you know this or not. It's like these these three guys started a Don't Die. I, I saw right? you there. Yeah. Oh yeah. You met you met Patrick at yeah, the yeah, basketball at the, game. At the, at the Bucks game. So yeah. those guys the Bucks Lakers game that both Giannis they and both guys didn't play. <laughs> uh, let's tell Mike this. Mike, I flew there. So Josh flew from, from, Egypt, from LA. No, yeah, from to, Egypt. From Egypt. I went straight from Egypt via New York to Milwaukee to see a game that Giannis and LeBron sat out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was t I was giving a speech up there and I drove 180 miles down to go to the game and Josh was there. So you met Patrick. So so they have fentanyl testing kits all throughout the city. They have communication between the harm reduction people, the mayor's office, the health department. Everybody works together in Milwaukee to, to try to reduce the death rate, the, the, the senseless death from fentanyl and drug overdoses. And they do an excellent job. Let's switch gears now and come out to L.A., where I've been told by the mayor's office, who actually I have some I used to have some say with that that they believe that that this sort of thing encourages drug use. These are millennial like assistants to Eric Garcetti. And they believe that Narcan and fentanyl testing kits encourages drug use. Like it's incredible the ignorance in a huge bureaucracy where everybody's chasing polling. I don't think anybody that works in Milwaukee is worried about their poll numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> and so the bigger the city, the worse the problem. And not because of there's worse drug addicts there or there's worse drug dealers there. It's because of the bureaucracy. People are dying in the major cities in LA, in, in, like LA, in America. And the little places, Huntington, West Virginia, which was the epicenter of drug overdose death you know, for years, for like four years in a row, they're doing a great job of community-based talking and navigating and, and cutting red tape and getting help out to the people. And what's mostly needed, and they, they asked me here in Claremont, they had five deaths at Claremont High School from fentanyl. Oh, my God. Really? Five deaths, oh my yeah, God. in Claremont. So is that is that is that common? Are kids in high school dying all over the yes, yes. Josh, let me Am use I that? You, let me Mike use has the stats. Mike has no, the let stats. Me have, let ahead. me have let me give you a euphemism, right? Like let's compare back when we were using to car racing, right? Like they went about 150 miles an hour. There was less response, less people, you know. Now the cars are up to 250, whatever, 205. And it's more responsive and it's more dangerous. The same thing with this fentanyl. It's 500 times more powerful than heroin. So, yeah. you know, there's much less uh, um, room for error, you know? So yeah, people, yeah. that's I why know people that, are, I know that are about eating fentanyl. shit. I get, and I know I have friends who have lost brothers and sisters and i i know and I, I mean i know lots of people but i just didn't i wasn't sure if it was you it's know going uh, up like affecting high schoolers yeah, yeah high really schoolers sad. it's really sad yeah, how about this just in the last two years like you never i've worked in drug treatment since 1999 i like that's like a nut that's a millennium ago millennial ago so um <laughs> that 1999 and not until like 
two years ago, did I ever, because you always ask the person, what's your primary drug of choice upon admission to a detox unit? What's your drug of choice? Meaning, what's your favorite drug? What's the drug you do every day? What's the one, what's the drug that gets you up in the morning to go get some money to go get? And about two years ago, I started hearing fentanyl and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, I could, you know, and I'm pretty open-minded. I just couldn't believe that, that this most deadly, dangerous, unregulated, all your friends are dying from it could be your go-to. Yeah. When I get up in the morning, that's the drug I want fentanyl. And Mike's Mike's had some friends that were kids that were lost to fentanyl. It's just awful. And so, you know, we are getting the message out to small town America. There's a don't die in Huntington, West Virginia. There's a don't die in New Jersey. There's a don't die in Milwaukee. And those places are doing great here at home. <laughs> yeah, you heard about the comedians that died, right? They were just having a yeah. fun night. Well, what, what's the, is there a statistic between people that are actually waking up in the morning and looking for fentanyl and the ones that don't know they're taking it? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm dealing with the hardcore addicts that go to treatment. But yeah, there's there's a naivete on the part of the what's called recreational drug users. That's the word you were looking for, Josh. Recreational drug use. Well, d- don't uh, d- those comedians were just trying to do some coke, right? They weren't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they weren't trying to go downtown, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it was funny. It was crazy. So I don't know. And then there's a lot of mysterious deaths where you hear of people on meth or people blowing themselves up. I think you and I were kind of cross paths on that sad thing that happened in Utah or wherever the fuck it was. Um, it's so funny because, Mike, a lot of times Josh Josh is another one, like Dave Becky, like Flea and Anthony, like everyone in my life, John Fashante, everybody, that when somebody calls them looking for guidance about drugs, they then say, call Bob, and they tap me into a text. And Josh would tap me into a text. And often, let's face it, Josh, often those people are celebrities, right? So the people don't want to let you know who it is, right? Yeah, right? yeah. And so... There was this instance where some I got this call through a friend of Josh's and we talked and I was just giving guidance and I didn't need to know who the person was. But I thought I knew who it was because I had gotten a call two days before in the same state describing the same person. This, so I was sure this is that guy. And I won't say who these people are, but this is that guy. And then it turned out it was another person who then sadly died of, of it. Um, and I was blown away at how similar the descriptions from these two people were. It was, they were describing different people, Josh, but it was the same person. Yeah. Right. And so you got to start seeing like, there's ways to break this cycle, but truth and honesty and genuineness. And that's what I've been preaching. I just dealt with a client last week and I said to the girlfriend, you need to tell him how you feel. Don't guard it. Don't hold it back. Don't be scared to hurt his feelings because he might go on a drug run and die. You've got to be able to say your truth. You got to pray about it. You got to center yourself. You don't want to be vindictive or or resentful or mean spirited, but you have to be able to tell these addicts the truth because I don't think people are telling addicts the truth anymore. Me and Mike were called scumbags anywhere we went for 20 years, Josh. 
scumbags. <laughs> Look at these scumbags. That got the message that what we're doing is not okay with the majority of the people. But nowadays you can be on fentanyl and drugs and high and, you know, and be just complete chaos. And people go, Hey dude, how you doing? How you go? How you doing? Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, corporate made, Right. I mean, all yeah, these corporate. drugs that people are being like, there's, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, different. just nobody questions that. Why, why would you need fentanyl? Why in the fuck would you need fentanyl? Whoever invented <laughs> it, why would you need it? Right? No. <laughs> so that's the truth of it. So, yeah. so you're going to be here. Let's do some, let's do some fun stuff. Let's try to, let's try to do some, music i was thinking of oh yeah uh, on your downtime yeah that'd be great yeah i was thinking of um like i think you said it to me josh like when you take a list of your of your favorite songs or your best songs that you wrote i i've done that and my problem is this like 11 of the 20 are like ballads or really slow songs right so this is a problem do you do a set of just and call it the depressing set and then do a light set like two nights uh, two sets at mccabe's and do the early show will be a happy up you know like lena horn and max jill called the serial song and then the 10 15 show do you uh no you, you take them on a really journey <laughs> you, you take them on a journey a wild twisting just like journey. life like life it sucks <laughs> But All right. Well, I'll do, how about that? that? Bring well, back. Let's try to do something. Just the three of us. Let's let's make a set list of my songs, of our songs, and see see what see if the three of us should play McCabe's or something before you go on tour in summer. I'm uh, absolutely. Let's do it. Combine with the plural one or something, you know. And I was also thinking, Josh, you should have a tech like my one friend Ian was helping me. But I mean, we just kind of, you know. I, Ian works with Pearl Jam too. And we, you know, we had so much going on that whole week with three different bands essentially to play with. Got it. And, got and, you know, we, we just, you know, and it's, it's not his, uh, you know, he, like I, I had to, I only had so much time to throw together what I was using for the solo set. Every, you know, maybe that's my problem. I didn't prioritize my solo set out of the whole two weekends. You know, I was, I was focused on other things more than my own set. But again, like I don't, I don't mind that. Like to me, I had the experience that I, the best one I could have under the circumstances. If I, yeah, right, right. you know, Ian had so much to do that day. Yeah. <laughs> but you exactly. were learning all the Pearl Jam songs and the songs from the Eddie show. So how many songs did you learn in a month? Like 20 songs that you've got to be able to play right. In the, oh, like more than 20, more than 20. So yeah. then what you did was, I guarantee you, this is what you did. I wrote the plural one song. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine with those. And you left it and left it and left it, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it really is that kind of thing. I don't list, I don't play my songs ever. I, I, like I said earlier, like I, if I'm trying to practice and get the chords under my fingers on piano or whatever it is, the minute the singing stops and it's the instrumental section, I'm done. I'm like, oh, right, God, I'm so bored and I'm looking for something else or I check the stupid phone or whatever it is. But uh I, yeah, I just, I, uh, I don't know my songs in the same way because I don't ever sing them. I, you know, I sing them when I record them and that's it. Just the way life is now. I'm not touring. I'm not playing them. I have no one to play them with. I was never intending on being a solo. Well, one thing I know you won't do is what I did. 
because because the bicycle thief was like that for me i didn't really know what those songs were you knew them better than i did and then what you do if you if and Colony Sponsor fell into this. I think a lot of bands fall into this where you just do the songs that are easy, that you know how to play really easily, right? And then these great songs like like MacArthur Park Revisited or, or you know, the songs get marginalized and you just never do them. And then it just becomes you don't do those songs. And that's what I'm saying. Let, I want to look at my songs and let's, let's go through all of them. There's a song I wrote that I think is one of my 10 best songs called Nothing's Perfect. We've never played that song live because it's too hard. It has like a pausing part. You know what I mean? Have you ever heard that song, Josh? Nothing's yeah. Perfect? Mm -hmm. I want to yeah, do that it's got song the, it's, live. It's got, the, it's got the Chris Hansen riff in it that nobody wants to play. But, <laughs> I'll play it. Yeah, Josh will play it. All right. Well, I know you guys got to go. Have a great day. Have a great uh week and then let's try to play i'm gonna, i'm serious so you guys want to do it the yeah, three of us yeah, play yeah. let's cage? stay in touch let's do yeah. it yeah okay i'm gonna book it i think i still got some juice over there i got my new 12 string man it's really neat oh you know, no uh, both of you with your 12 strings jesus oh, christ so great. well i don't <laughs> have rye cooters but i did find a company in los angeles called orangewood guitars that are really great bunch of young people that just are you know manufacturing these guitars and sending them out they're really awesome where are they orangewood guitars look them up you just got them a sale mike 12 strings are a little much don't you think <laughs> No, maybe that's you need a sixteen much. string. <laughs> if you put a twelve string, if you put a twelve string on eleven, what happens? <laughs> you, you've you've broken one string. Sorry. All right. Um, Talk to you guys later, but we're gonna do this. It'll be fun. And thanks to Smitty and all the gang that put this oh thing on. It's God. so magical. I, you know, I was talking. Uh, I want to see more. Don't dies invented in different parts of the country and the world how can that happen right right yeah you know what you great. know what needs one but they always hate la people except for you i think you're an honorary seattle citizen the rest of us they hate is seattle they need a don't die seattle if somebody's listening that like don't die seattle because there's kids you know up on that church hill whatever it's called where where is that capital, capital hill? hill there's some drugs up there brother Oh yeah, there's some. Oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah, so, yeah um, don't... well, I, I I know some people up there, so yeah. <laughs> Let's get one going. Well, All right. Well, yeah. Seattle has a weird law where you can't have a rehab in a house, so that kind of that kind of makes it all be in hospitals, and no drug addicts want to go stay in a hospital. Nobody does. Only like, Bob knows these weird facts. I have no <laughs> idea. Right. They don't allow. If you can do drugs in a house, you should have a rehab in a house. <laughs> yeah, you should be able to get sober in a house. They but that's not the I'm sure there is some clever way to sneak around that. Yeah. What's no? I'm what's sure next? Rehabs in RVs. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, RVs. Hey, I could. You know that RV hasn't moved in fucking four months. And Sydney calls it the house car. She says, let's go in the house car. I go, nah, it's too much trouble. It's just sitting there. And I realize the tires are going to rot out there, Mike. I got to oh, do something with no. this RV. Maybe a rehab in the RV. Maybe oh. a rehab, <laughs> RV rehab. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. See you guys See later. You later. Have fun. All right. Love bye you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.